0: So, decode your burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Today, I'm joined by Eric McDermott. Now, by day, Eric is an equity partner at a financial services firm with more than 60,000 clients. But behind the suit in his other company, Eric was named Best Business Influencer of the Year, winning two Stevie's, which is the Oscars of the Business World, for his social media channels. Having amassed more than half a million social media followers in under two years, he educates in a unique brand of visual storytelling that vibes like someone rebooted Schoolhouse Rock for the next generation. He's also a USA Today and Amazon bestselling author and has numerous published Forbes articles. Eric currently leads teams across three enterprises and draws upon 25 years of entrepreneurship, team leadership, innovation, enterprise marketing, and new initiatives. And if you've been listening to the show, you probably remember we kind of dropped his name a few episodes back when we did The Feeler, and we talked about the what by when strategy. So here he is in the flesh. Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Nice, nice. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited because as you know, Heather and I have been partnering on a lot of this burnout work, especially presentations to conferences, corporations, and things of that matter. And so she's very familiar with your work. And then her and I kind of team together. And so we kind of just bringing you into this now triangle. (laughs) And I've been looking through all your social media stuff. And honestly, it's very impressive. So I'm so excited to have you here and Kind of pick your brain a little bit about what you're doing and how you're doing it and what we can learn from you.
1: Well, thanks so much. When Heather made the introduction to you, I remember thinking, wait, Heather... Coaches on and is exquisite at comedy, right? And using humor for business purposes, and has actually coached me on it in several places. And and so when she introduced you and, and I saw Doctor Burnout, I'm like, y'all are partners. Like they, they almost seem like the yin and the yang of the human experience. I, I remember thinking, all right, well, this should be fun. And sure enough, some of the some of the things that you do on your podcast when I listen to it were actually really reflective for me too. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today as well.
0: Amazing. So for people who are maybe new or have short-term memory loss, Heather is is Heather Tolly Bauer. It's her full name. She is a stand-up comedian. And we do a lot of, as we say, I'm the ah ahas and she's the (laughs) hahas.
1: I like that. I like that.
0: All right. So Eric, so many things that I could ask you, honestly, but why don't you start us off a little bit about your burnout experience, because I know you've had that, and then we can go from there.
1: Yeah, and knowing I was going to be on the show, it really gave me a great chance to reflect on it a bit. And I guess before I share some of my examples, I'll first show that I've broken burnout really into two categories for myself. Mm -hmm. One is what I'd call situational burnout, and the other one I'd call existential burnout. And I've experienced both but I like to make the distinction because I orient to them very differently. And Mm so situational burnout for me happens pretty regularly. And I've learned there's really two types of situations for situational burnout. Like there's situations we find ourselves in and there's situations we produce. And I tend to not do things half-assed. And so I'm often producing lots of new situations. It's just who I am. And so usually when I'm trying to attain some new capability or set of outcomes I've never produced before, I put myself at risk of situational burnout because when I'm trying something new, I have to accept things are going to fail. They're going to stretch my capacities. And so effectively, I'll have several projects at any given point in time that knowingly press against my capacity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're successful and I can help get them into operational mode as I start to feel a sense of burnout. Other times they fail and I have to unwind them. And sometimes I'm just exhausted midstream. Like I'm not looking to stop. I'm not fully complete and I'm just exhausted midstream from the extended effort and need to take a break. Those are situational though. And even though I know life is a marathon, I still, for some reason, keep lining up at the start line for lots of sprints. And to some degree, situational burnout, I think, appears to be inevitable for me. Um, There's some amount of that. And I had to think about it like, well, why do you keep doing that? I think mostly because I enjoy things most when I've got creativity and problem-solving at work on something I believe in. And that doesn't mean I won't burn out on them. I just notice that those are also really satisfying opportunities for me. And so I'm not looking to avoid situational burnout. I'm more looking to manage them and handle them sustainably, mm. right? So sometimes that's converting them from attaining that new capability to saying, hey, I'm going to now maintain that. And I might go out and get help for that. Or I maybe I've determined it's not going to be part of my future and I'll stop it. There's different ways that I can approach that. So that's situational burnout. And I don't know which one you find yourself covering more. And I'm not an expert. This is just my reference point. You probably have much better ones than what I'm sharing. But the existential burnouts happen, thankfully, far fewer. Um, But those are like the ones that make me question, like, the meaning of life like for me. Those are the ones that hit at my core. Those aren't ones I'm anticipating. Those are not ones I want. They're not ones I look to create, like the situational ones. And I'd say most recently, I experienced existential burnout at the end of 2020, which I'm imagining would not be an uncommon place for several people. Mm -hmm. Of course, we knew COVID broke out. We had the pandemic, right? And for... Anybody who's a business owner, they may remember that in the CARES Act, there was a provision called PPP, right? Huge provision. Yes. Yes. And it was so confusing and so detailed, and the U.S. government was effectively tilting this up in real time, and business owners didn't understand it. So I decided in one of my roles on the financial services side to stay on top of the ever-changing, like literally every 24 hours, new decisions and rulings and regulations were coming out on this thing for business owners. And I took on being a bit of a tip of the spear to keep current on it and did these national webinars for thousands of small business owners across the country, helping to unpack it, helping them to understand if they qualify, helping them to understand it, helping them to figure out if it made sense for them and how to navigate it because the requirements were changing constantly. And so that took a good 12 straight weeks of literally preparing for a webinar. The next morning, say at 10 a.m. my time, I got compliance approval because it's a regulated industry on my content that I was going to share. And then I wake up and at four in the morning, I find out the SBA changed the regulation overnight. Wow. And I had to adjust it in real time. And it was just constant. And that was rewarding. Like that would have just been a situational burnout for me. Right. Like when it was done, I would have just been, hey, that my sprint is complete. I did my job. That was great. Except that right as that was completing, uh, in December of 2020, I also learned that my wife was diagnosed with a, a rare, aggressive form of breast cancer. Oh, wow. And that's a tough situation, I'm sure, for anybody who's been through it. And couple that with the fact that it's now COVID. So I'm literally not allowed to go with her. As the doctor delivers the news and she's trying to hold it together, I can't even be there. I could call in and listen but I couldn't be there with her. There was a lot of that going on. And it was really hard. You know, we have three kids at home at the time Mm -hmm. and holding it together for them, being of support to her. Like, obviously she had the harder time of that than I did, of course. But right after that situational burnout, all of that effort and exhaustion and just having spent myself and then hearing about my wife's breast cancer, that really put me in an existential burnout. Like one where I'm like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Are these the things I should be doing? Is this what matters? And really question like, what was most important. Now, clearly nothing makes your family and your marriage more front and center than having to support you know, someone you care about in that kind of fight. And the good news, like fast forward, just so I don't have anybody sitting in any worry. She is fully cured. She is complete with all of her treatments. And according to the doctors, there's no reason to look back, just to look forward. So we're in a good spot now, but that definitely caused some real challenges and made me have to rethink and recenter to get back on track.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. So much to unpack there. I love how you talk about situational versus existential burnout. And I love how even with situational, you talk about situations that you're in that are kind of external stress factors versus the stress that you put on yourself. And when I came up with this paradigm of the thinker the feeler and the doer that's kind of part of a bigger contextual model that i came up with for burnout really it was three parts so that was just the third part that's kind of like your personality it's really those internal stressors that lead you to burnout right so it's under the umbrella of situational stress or situational burnout but it was like the stuff you put on yourself but the other two were like a larger context situational burnout so what Are you in a toxic work environment? Are you raising children? Or do you have elderly parents? Are you dealing with health, like a cancer diagnosis, all these kinds of things. So that was the situational part, which is external to you. And then the first one, the first piece of it was really about your early childhood experiences and how that's shaped you. Because a Mm. lot of what we know is that those early experiences really shape your understanding of the world. And so as things are happening now in your adulthood, you're kind of seeing it through that same lens that you developed way back when. And if we leave that unquestioned, then we're always coming up with the same results over and over again, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. this is why we have these self-fulfilling prophecies and things of that nature. So I feel like all three of those kind of come together. But what I love is you're now talking about existential burnout. And I think COVID is a great example of that. There's something that happens that's monumental and it causes you to step back and to question what you're doing, why you're doing it. COVID was definitely one of those. I think we see a lot of it when people get to those birthdays where there, it's like the zero at the end, like the 40 and sure. the 50 and the 60, where you're kind of like asking like, why am I doing this, right? And I also think ironically... That burnout itself is an existential experience for people. Because a lot of times when we burn out, you can see people questioning, why am I doing this? Like, this is making me miserable. I'm so exhausted. I'm not sleeping at night. My kids don't know who I am anymore. Like that in and of itself can be an existential crisis, which is why I always like to say burnout can be your biggest breakthrough.
1: Yeah. On the other side. Right? Uh, on
0: the other side because it causes yeah. that existential crisis it causes you a reason to step back and analyze your life and like why you're making the decisions that you are right right so that's actually super important
1: how many of us have found ourselves working really hard for an outcome we didn't mean to produce mm-hmm. right I can definitely see that and I remember a mentor to me once said most people don't realize what matters most in their life until they betray it ever since I learned that, I've worked for myself to say, go, okay, how about I learn from that wisdom rather than learn from the pain of doing it as much as possible. And so, you know, what is it? Wisdom is learned or it's earned. I'd much rather learn it because it's much less painful than earning it. And Mm -hmm. so I've, it's caused me to reflect on like what matters most and what I make sure I don't betray Mm -hmm. right whenever possible. And so, and
0: I I would take it even a step further. So When you said that, it kind of brought to mind, I don't know if you've seen this, but Netflix now has this miniseries on Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: Okay. I have not watched it, but I've seen that it's there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's pretty cool. So it's a three-part series. The first part is about his bodybuilding phase. Then you've got his acting phase, and then you've Uh, got his political phase.
1: gubernatorial, right?
0: Right. And so there's a few things that really struck me, but the one that's really pertinent to our conversation is how... He had this incredible relationship with his wife and being introduced to her family. And it was just like, it really was because he was somebody who left the countryside. He was disconnected from everybody and everything. Mm. And he was building a new life here in the States. And he kind of pissed it away is kind of how I interpreted it, you know, with his philandering and what have you. Mm. And you see him now, he's like older, and I couldn't help but feel his loneliness sitting in this big old house by himself with his like donkey or whatever pets he has Do you
1: present day, like, like that's literally of thing? present oh, day. It. And
0: it. I was talking to my husband about this. I was like, he could have been surrounded by his wife, his kids, like the whole family. It would have been a completely different experience in his older age. So yes, I think that we definitely should be learning from our mistakes and our failures. But I think it's even important to think about what are the mistakes and failures that us as humans make over and over again? And what can we learn from that so that mm-hmm. we don't make them ourselves? And listen, men cheating on their wives is not a new phenomenon, but mm-hmm. you might ask yourself, like, what could I learn from that so that I don't end up alone in my old age with the donkey in my house or whatever. I think that's another thing. When We're talking about these existential things is like old age and loneliness, like all of these things. It's part of that quality of life. If you can avoid making these mistakes, I think you'd be smart to think about them ahead of time.
1: Totally. And that's the thing. I don't always get it right, but that's the thing I find myself working at, right? Is there's enough evidence of it out there. And Goodness knows I've got enough scar tissue for proof that I know how to do things wrong on my way to figure out how to do them right. So I certainly don't always get it perfect. It's funny when you describe the ability to learn from our mistakes. I actually have uh, content uh, called Fail Smart. And it's really meant primarily for workplace, but it works personally as well. There's a quote from Nelson Mandela that says, I never lose. I either win or I learn.
0: yes. Which is and so, it's a, so powerful, right?
1: It's so powerful. that I love it. And I think it's brilliant. And it's still incomplete in that it doesn't offer a framework though, for how to learn. Because mm. when we fail, that can sometimes be an existential threat for us, right? Like whatever that mm. fail may be, it could be small. It could be just something at work and we get over it the next day. It could be larger. And so I sought out to like create a framework for how mm. to fail smart. And I ended up creating the mindsets, the action sets and the rule sets for how to fail smart in organizations because an organization that works to be fail-proof is usually progress-proof and like, look, if you do heart surgery, no, failure is not an option like that. Please try not to fail. If you land huge rockets on the moon, which is where I think the phrase failure is not an option came from, is Gene Krantz who used to head up NASA But for most of us in life and in business, we can't afford to fail. And that what I end up looking for is, okay, so then how do you produce a return from that fail? And that's the learning part. Hmm. And so having a framework for how to learn from it. And one of my rules for myself, and I've shared it with many others, I think they've adopted it wherever it works for them, is the evidence that I've learned from my fail is that I don't fail the same way twice. Mm -hmm. I may find all new ways to fail, but... I won't fail that way a second time.
0: Yeah. Oh man, I keep telling this to my son. He's 10 years old, he keeps making the same mistakes a hundred times. I'm like, did you learn anything from this? No. I'm like, come on. Well, at
1: least he's honest. At least he's honest. He
0: is honest, but it's like it's kind of mind-boggling for me. It's like, seriously, you did that uh, again?
1: Give you him know. time. Give him time. <laughs> he's got a few good years ahead to figure it out.
0: <laughs> I think what you offer is so valuable because listen, you know, the other side of it, because you were a perfectionist, I think you still have a lot of that in you. And as we talked about, that's part of the thinker mentality, right? That's Mm -hmm. part of what leads people to burn out if they're a thinker. Because you can kind of overdo it, you can kind of try to perfect everything in your life. And then it becomes so overwhelming that you can't get anything done, then everything piles up. And then you're feeling really overwhelmed. And then you feel like a failure. And then it kind of like the self perpetuating pattern, So what I love is now you're really embracing failure. You're teaching Mm -hmm. people how to do that themselves. And I think that in and of itself might be a great strategy, especially for our thinkers as a way to prevent burnout.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or if nothing else, yes, it would potentially prevent burnout because the story we would tell ourselves about the fail would potentially change. Right. The fail isn't a demonstration of something that needs to be harmful to us, right? It's just the evidence we're human and that when you have a structure for, okay, so now how do I produce a return with that, right? And there's like three ways I've found to do that. But like, once you work that, you go, all right, here's what I now know that I didn't before and how I'm going to be able to take this on going forward. All right. I did not lose. I either won or I learned. And
0: I actually think that's really important because we're wired for constant progress. We're constantly moving towards something. We have goals. We're always trying to accomplish something. And when we accomplish whatever it is that we set out to do, then we have the next step, the next Mm -hmm. goal, the next Mm -hmm. thing that we want to achieve. So we never stop. We're just constantly in that perpetual motion. Now, you might think somebody has attained like the greatest peaks, like they have made it to the Olympics that they really should be happy. They should be content because they've achieved like that is huge, right? Like how many people don't make it? But what we also know is that believe it or not, one of the highest suicide rates happens with Mm. the silver medalists because they didn't get the gold. And you might say like, what's wrong with you? You're in second place. But for them, it's like, epic failure, epic. Uh And it could be by a microsecond that they lost, but it's so highly competitive. They just like feel ashamed. They feel like a total failure. And so, yeah, we have to produce different, better stories because it's not worth dying over. You know, it's like that hyper perfectionism, that hyper competitiveness can lead to your doom essentially.
1: Yeah. I Don't know about the silver medalists, of course, and this is your field in your area. I can say that I've noticed that even when I'm providing insights and content in the career and business world, one of the things that I will make a distinction on are external yardsticks and internal measures. And those external yardsticks, like there's a place for them. Like when we're trying to understand. Our value in our careers, like from a marketplace standpoint, like how the help we can provide has a market standard and are we exceeding that? There's helpfulness in seeing external yardsticks. And then there's places where external expectations are not helpful. And so this idea that to your point, someone can potentially have been second best in the world at something and think themselves as having failed is a really tough one to manage. It also helps me to think of, A distinction I make because I see it like even in the financial world, but I see it, this interesting thing in our society where we tend to default to a want for more, as opposed to a strategy for enough.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, that is like tweetable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so. I see it everywhere. Right. And you were, from my point of view, you were describing a version of it, which is, you know, Hey, I did this thing and now I want more. And if, and if I ask people like, how much would you like to be paid? And it's like, you know, they're, they're usually in a, I don't know. I just know I want to make more. Or once they achieve the more they go, well, now I need to get to. And so it's this want for more and that can quickly become a never ending hamster wheel if we're not careful. And how we do that. And so what I find much more helpful, again, I'm not like 100% success rate, even knowing this, is what's enough? What's enough in any given area that matters to me in life? What's enough of a good time? What's enough money to know that I can live what I call an adequate life for the rest of my life? What's enough career value that I can produce? Right.
0: That is such an important question, Eric, because I feel like, and I just want to clarify, we're not saying don't have goals, don't be ambitious, don't go after I've got after plenty the of them.
1: That's right. No, I've got a lot but of them. But it's
0: when you're so focused on that, that you lose the bigger picture. And this is where people end up in burnout or existential crisis. I have clients like this who have been incredibly successful and they're miserable. Right. And then they're like, well... Can I leave? But what do I do? And then only after they finish working with me do they get to the other side and they're like, oh, now I get it. Life is about experiences. It's about making memories with my family. It's about enjoying my time when I'm away from work, not just when I'm at work. And there's so much more to life than just the accomplishment, right? So it's like, yes, you want to be driven. Yes, you want to accomplish things. Yes, you want to have a mission and a purpose. But There's so much beyond that that we sometimes lose sight of. And that's where the existential breakdown, I think, happens. So I'm so glad that you brought this to the forefront for this episode because it's an important topic that we really haven't talked about per se. And I think it deserves its own episode. And I'm grateful for the experiences and just the tools and the resources and the different ways of thinking about it that you've presented. Now, for somebody who is interested in learning more about those strategies that you said you created about failure, and you've come up with a ton of teaching materials, where can people go to learn more?
1: Thank you for that. I would say the easiest way to find some of the content where I I talk about some of these frameworks or share insights that I found helpful for myself and others, my TikTok channel, and by the way, if you're over the age of, we'll call it 35 and you don't have TikTok, you don't need to have an account in order to watch videos, you know, or search for it or be able to watch those. Uh, but I have quite a bit of content there. That's where the half a million followers in two years came from. The other place, though, for those who don't have TikTok and would like to see some of it, is I've got Forbes articles. So if you search my name, Eric McDermott and Forbes on Google, there'll be a dozen or so Forbes articles on everything from, career insights to workplace to teams, marketing, branding, leadership, and even mindsets for how to fail smart. And so all of those things are in that content as well. I am working on some online courses. I've got a book called Team Amplifiers. It's already on Amazon. It was a new release bestseller in seven business categories. So that was fun. And I've got a new one coming out this week called Career Amplifiers, which is really for individuals looking to have a little bit of a field guide for how to get ahead so those are some of the ways that folks could potentially look up some of the stuff that I'm working on.
0: And I know you have a YouTube channel too, don't you?
1: I do. I do. And if you go visit it, you might be one of the 23 that seem to have gone. It is remarkable how I can have so much success from an interaction standpoint on a platform like TikTok. And yeah. yet, for some reason, when I put this stuff on YouTube in the longer form, it's just not attracting folks on the view side. When folks yeah. view. They seem to appreciate it. But anyway, so I'm actually probably going to rework a lot of that YouTube content because one of the things that I've learned in doing TikTok is uh, there's a power to brevity. Yes. And it has taught me how to take concepts and explain them in under a minute. Yes. You've got about one to three seconds till someone just swipes right by you
0: in that format.
1: And so now when I watch my own YouTube, I go, oh, speed it up, dude. Like you got to go faster than that. So I'm going to probably rework some of the longer form content, but I do have
0: uh, at least a couple
1: dozen long form. And it's not just
0: the content. I just want to put a plug in because I've watched the delivery of your content and it is exceptional, like nothing I've ever seen. And so I want people to go out and watch it and learn from you because you're not only wise, but you have fantastic delivery, which makes learning a lot easier. And so I highly, highly recommend people check it out.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much for being with us today.
1: It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Now, for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you are a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And if you are a doer, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. So help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you are ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye everybody.